Hey, it's Andrew Morgan, host of the NOMCAST, the Netflix original movie podcast. Each week we preview and review the biggest Netflix original movies with special guests from the film industry, the music industry, comedians, and of course our fellow critics and podcasters. The NOMCAST is available on nomcastpod.com or wherever you get your podcasts, on the socials at nomcastpod, and is a part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. Ladies and gentlemen, please notice that exits are conveniently located at the front and rear of this auditorium. When leaving the theater, we suggest that the exit at the front of the auditorium will allow you easier access to the parking areas. Thank you. I was going to say, like, the whole point of Star Wars is to get him to shoot those freaking things to kill the Death Star. You're talking about the whole design of that movie. I'm a little... Things didn't go the way you thought. No, I'm just a little... (laughs) Stallone's playing soccer? Yeah. What's going on? I'm watching this. I saw that at a very young age, and I didn't... You're coming at me hard. I'm not coming at you hard. Yeah, you are. I just don't believe her choices. Her choices are ridiculous. Give me me an emotion. There must be some movies in the end. Okay, I'll stop. (laughs) We are. Mics are hot. Okay. Uh, do we wait? No, uh, you you take, he took a drink. I was about to say, <laughs> and then he took a drink. All right. Hi, I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And you're listening to the Forgotten Cinema Podcast. Each episode, we highlight a film that for a variety of reasons was forgotten by audiences. Whether it's because a more popular movie was released at the same time, or the movie simply didn't catch on with an audience in its initial run. We'll discuss what we love about the movie, or perhaps don't love about it, but we'll always recommend you revisit it. If you enjoy our podcast, we'd like to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Facebook. Find us. Our podcast is available on all platforms with a backlog of 150 episodes for your listening pleasure. 150? 150. Season 12. Here we go. And begin. All right. (laughs) What's going on? Nothing. Just living. Living? Living. Finding a uh, crash plane. Oh, interesting. Uh, Interesting. Found a bag of money in it, though. Okay. Split it two ways. Uh, Only yes. if I get to hold it, though. We'll, <laughs> we'll get into how, while I was watching this film, how I would keep this money. Uh, so what are we doing today and what's it about? We are doing 1998's A Simple Plan, where three blue-collar acquaintances come across millions of dollars in lost cash and make a plan to keep their find from the authorities. But it isn't long before complications and mistrust weave their way into the plan. And by it isn't long, I mean immediately. It's like as soon as they get home. Oh, it's a movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, acquaintances. They're two brothers. Two of them are brothers. Two of them are brothers nice. and one of them's a moron. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get into that. A simple plan is a runtime of 121 minutes. It's rated R. Now, the production budget, I saw two numbers. So let's just say it's a between 17 million and 30 million. Pick, pick one, I guess. One might be marketing added. I don't know. Uh, yeah, so I didn't. I really wasn't going to go in depth. Well, on hopefully, it was the seventeen. Otherwise, whoa, did this I, bomb? Well, maybe maybe the thirty million included all that. Uh, so I had two release dates. A limited release date on December eleventh, nineteen ninety eight. Obviously, in time for Oscar season, and I had a wide release date on January twenty second, nineteen ninety nine. So obviously, for those who are unaware of the theater biz, movies will come out really quickly uh, in L A. and New York, and maybe some other local areas, just to kind of get. Not to get it, uh, uh, what's the word? Eligible for, for Oscar. Oscar yes, contention. eligibility for Oscar for that year. The last couple of years, they have obviously stepped back from that to allow streamers to have, uh, just because of all the, uh, just because of the pandemic and stuff like right, that. Right, like, yep. Right. So it's opening weekend, which was the 11th, the limited, it did 390,000. But on its wide release date, um, on that weekend, it did 3.4 million. But it brought in a total of 16.3 million, both domestic and worldwide. So I don't, so maybe it didn't get a big worldwide release or didn't do much. Uh, so as Mike said, it, you know, he's hoping that the production budget was 17 because it kind of broke even. But I would I would venture a guess that it made some money on its uh, DVD and well, maybe. Well, no, it doesn't have a Blu-ray, which I noticed uh, is DVD sales. Oh, wow. So it doesn't have a Blu-ray? Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's production company. There are like 20. Uh, Mutual <laughs> Film Company, Savoy Pictures, BBC, Toho Toa, Telemuchin, UGCPH, uh, Marubeni, and New Market Capital Group all put money for this movie. It was distributed by Paramount Pictures in the United States and the United Kingdom, Concord Film Verli, if I said that wrong, in Germany, UGC Fox distrib- Distributions in France, and then Toho Toa in Japan. So um, clearly you knew where all the money came from all over, all yeah, over really. this film. So as I said, its limited release date was the 11th of December, 1998. It went up against, in a wide release, Star Trek Insurrection, stretch face Star Trek. Ugh. 
Uh, Jack Frost, not the one that's the horror film, but the Michael, Michael Keaton, Keaton is uh, turns into a snowman, which is also kind of a horror film in and of itself. Oh, that script made Michael Keaton cry. Uh, in a limited <laughs> release that week, you had Shakespeare in Love and Rushmore. On the 18th of December, you had The Prince of Egypt and You've Got Mail. And then the week before, which is the December 4th, you had the remake of Psycho, the shot for shot remake of Psycho, which I believe was only done so that Gus Van Sant could get money to do his movie about Cobain. I'm not sure or it was loosely based on Cobain. That's Kurt what Cobain. people say, although he says he wanted to see what a shot for shot remake. No, I think I, I'm pretty sure that's what he says now, but yeah. I'm pretty sure he did that for them so he can get money for another project. And then he was just like, let's just do a shot for shot because he really didn't care. I like the remake. I think it's interesting. It's all right. I don't think I needed the 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 sounds of uh, Norman Bates, you know, touching himself. <laughs> that was a little bit too much. But anyways, on the 22nd of January, which was the wide, wide release date, it went up against Gloria. Everyone remembers Gloria, right? No, neither do I. Uh, <laughs> the week after you had She's All That. And then the week before, which was the 15th, you had Varsity Blues. Throw that fucking pigskin. Uh, virus. <laughs> at first sight. Virus is terrible. At first sight. <laughs> In dreams and the thin red line. So you don't like, like the Power Ranger monster that they have to fight. Nah, the virus. virus is so <laughs> awful. Uh, in dreams and the, the thin red line, I believe, are other wide releases for movies that came out for the Oscar season in December. So Do you like the are, thin red line? Uh, I've only seen like fifteen minutes. Terrence Malick is is tough to to watch. You really have to really be into his film. Okay, cool. Because I hate it. No, it's <laughs> um he's a he's an acquired taste. I do. I've never seen Badlands. I think he did Badlands, and I've never seen Badlands. But I do want to see that. I've heard. I I just never. I never really got around to seeing that. But I know he did that. Okay. Okay. This movie was directed by Sam Raimi, who did Evil Dead or the Evil Dead series, Spider Man the two thousand two version, the good one, and The Gift, amongst other things. He's also doing Doctor Strange coming up. Uh, you had a screenplay was this actually was based on a book, a novel, which is written by Scott B. Smith. And he also adapted his novel for the screenplay. He's only done that. He only written on another book, which is called The Ruins. And he adapted that as well. That was that Eli Roth did The Ruins. Uh, I have it up because I was wondering if I had seen it. Let me That's see. the one where they're they're backpacking and they go to the. That is Carter Smith directed that. OK, then I'm wrong there. Maybe he produced it or something. Or maybe I'm thinking of that other movie he did. That is where... the one where they do an archaeological dig. That is takes place in the jungle. In the yeah, ruins of a jungle. maybe I'm thinking of. You're thinking of The Descent, which is also not. He didn't Eli do that. Roth. The Descent is a British film. Yeah, I like The Descent. The Descent's cool. Did you see the second one? Because I have never seen both. I have never seen right. the second one. So anyways, Smith has also done the script for, he's also done Siberia and the Burnt Orange Heresy. Cinematography by Alar Cavillo. He's done Frequency, The Lookout, and the more recently, The Broken Hearts Gallery. Composer was Danny Elfman, who's done basically Tim Burton films, but he was, <laughs> he's been nominated for his work at, at Milk, Big Fish, and Goodwill Hunting. Edited by Eric L. Beeson and Arthur Coburn. Beeson has done The Last Seduction, a movie we did, Joyride, and Don't Breathe. Coburn has done Beverly Hills Cop. The Mask and The Cooler, which is actually, I think, a, a The Cooler might be a, a good movie for our list. Yeah, that would be. Produced by James Jackson, Adam Schroeder. Jackson's done Tombstone, The Mummy. Well, he's done the, both all The Mummies. Dazed and Confused, and Schroeder's done The Truman Show, Sleepy Hollow, and the Jackie Chan movie, The Tuxedo. You had <laughs> Bill Paxton here as Hank, who passed away 2017, uh, four years ago. I can't believe it's been that long. Oh, no, me neither. He's in Aliens, Frailty, Apollo 13, Twister. He's in a lot of stuff. Uh, Bridget Fonda as Sarah, his wife. Uh, she's in Point of No Return, Single White Female, and of course, Lake Placid. I didn't know she was married to Danny Elfman. Yeah. Nice. And that she did, hasn't acted since because she was concentrated on having a family. Good for her. It was an interesting fact. I don't know. <laughs> I was just like, what happened to her? And I was like, what? Really? All right. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's fine. All good. All good. Interesting. Billy Bob Thornton as Jacob. He was nominated. He, excuse me. He won an Oscar for writing Sling Blade. He obviously was. He played uh, the main character. French fried potatoes. <laughs> he also won Bad Santa, Bad Santa 2 as well, and The Man Who Wasn't There, the Coen Brothers film. Brent Briscoe, who also passed away in 2017. Uh, he plays Lou, the friend, the friend that Mike said was the dumb friend. Uh, the Green Mile, the Mulholland Drive, and Sling Blade as well. Chelsea Ross is Carl. I know him from Hoosiers, the guy that tries to get Norman Dale kicked out. Uh, but he's also in Major League, the, the old pitcher that always puts all like the grease all over the ball. <laughs> he's also in, he's also in the Majestic. Gary Cole as Baxter. He's from obviously Office Space, Dodgeball. But I know him from the American Gothic TV show. Do you remember that? It's no. like yeah, he plays kind of like the devil or something like that. And and that Lucas Black was in that uh, okay. the kid from well he well he was the kid at the time from Fast Furious the X Files movies. But not no now he yeah then he was on in the Fast Furious movies. Oh that's yeah, right, he is yeah. the kid he's that the falls. Kid. You didn't know that? Hole. No. Yeah no yeah he's the kid that gets all oh, the goop on and stuff. Yeah <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then you had Becky Ann Baker as Nancy Chambers. 
And I knew I knew her. I knew she looked familiar and she was the mother in Freaks and Geeks. His mother, I believe, it was either, yes, the, 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 the kid's mother. Okay. Yeah. She's also in Girls, the TV show, and she's in Men in Black. So it's not a really big cast. Bill Paxton's dad's in here. Not, and it wasn't, he didn't get the job from Bill from Paxton. Bill Paxton. Yeah. yeah, he got it because he was a fan of uh, Sam Raimi. He, yeah, he, he wrote Sam Raimi a letter saying, I really like your films. If you have a small part, I'd love to do it. And he brought him in, auditioned him. And he's the, the guy that's complaining about how he's getting screwed out of paying for his fee. I love that because that totally reminds me of work. That's like total customer. <laughs> Check that calendar over there. <laughs> I'm not saying there were five weeks. I'm saying there were five Mondays. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, and then he just leaves. Yeah. Are we all right then, sir? All right. You have a good day. <laughs> uh, so before we get into what our thoughts about the movie, I wanted to say that this film uh, received two Academy Award nominations, one for Best Supporting Actor, so Billy Bob Thornton was nominated for this, and then one for Best Writing, uh, Adapted Screenplay, Scott B. Smith was nominated. So you know how I like to do, Butler. I'm going to give you the other nominees, and you're going to tell me who won. All right. So for Best Supporting Actor of 1999's uh, Academy Awards, you had Robert Duvall from A Civil Action. Ed Harris from The Truman Show, James Coburn from Affliction, and Jeffrey Rush from Shakespeare and Love. Those they all went up against Billy Bob Thornton for this movie. Who won? Was it Rush? It was not Rush, no. Then and it was... Oh, who was your first guy? I already uh, Robert Duvall for Civil Action. Was it Duvall? No, it was yeah. not Duvall. It I was James know. Coburn for Affliction. They don't remember that. Yeah, he's... he's <laughs> uh, all I know from that movie is the one clip when he's... he's I don't know if he had a stroke in the film... Like he's just an older, he's obviously an older actor. Right. He's always like, he's always, that's the <laughs> clip they show. I always remember that. Okay. So you got that wrong. So let's move to best writing and adapt the screenplay from Scott Smith for this movie. He went up against out of sight, uh, but written by Scott Frank gods and monsters written by Bill Condon primary colors written by Elaine may. And then the thin red line written by Terrence Malick, Ugh. who won the Oscar. Was it the thin red line? It was not. No, thank God. <laughs> what was the first one again? Uh, out of sight by Scott Frank. What was your second one? Uh, Gods and Monsters by Bill Conner. Was it Gods and Monsters? It was Gods and Monsters yeah. by Bill Conner. Yes, absolutely. Good job. Good job, brother. You got one. You got kind of one. Kind of one. I was just really <laughs> hoping it wasn't Thin Red Line. I was like, it's kind of a Thin Red Line. Oh. I really don't. <laughs> so um, did you ever, did you see this theater in the theater when it came out? Were you I've only young? seen bits and pieces of this movie before. Really? Yeah. Oh, I'm so curious. What's your first, uh, what's your first take? Uh, it's an okay movie elevated by the performances of Paxton and Billy Bob Thornton and its ending. And it's ending. Yeah. In terms of just what he does at the end of the money. What the, the what happens with the money at the end of the movie and also how they wrap up um Jacob's storyline. Okay. So okay, so you just you like performances, but you were not a fan of the movie on a, a whole. The story itself is rather done. It's, <laughs> okay. It, well, it's just done, kind well, of it's just like a greedy kind of like what happens when three friends end up with a ton of stuff and they betray each other. I was like in the general sense of things, I think the story is very very much something that has been done before and the stupidity of your three, three characters just really bothers me. Half my notes are just so dumb, so dumb, so dumb, so dumb, so dumb. So dumb. Okay. Well that, and that's, uh, that but, makes sense. Yeah. I, I have some notes there that one of my notes here is that, you know, when Hank records Lou doing the message mm -hmm. and cause he, cause goaded by his wife to get him on tape, pretending saying that he killed, uh, like Stevenson's Dale Stevenson was that the guy's name the, the older guy yeah yeah so, yeah uh, uh, saying that he got he killed him and then he was we we have the tape we can use as leverage so he'll keep his mouth shut and he won't whatever he won't yeah but then he records it and then he shows it he's they get him drunk and he plays it as soon as he's done recording it which right. I didn't understand it was, like, it was I, just out of anger and my out of, like I'm better than you my note was that it was well that's the thing my note was that it's a it's a dumb move another yeah. dumb move I also thought that what was a dumb move was bringing back the money. Bringing back 500,000. That made no sense. Right. Yeah. I think it was a lot of overthinking, but not that I'm trying to rationalize it, but to me, it kind of makes sense because these people are not, these people are not equipped for this kind of thinking. Like we're thinking like 2020, okay. Looking back in terms of not 2020 the year, but right. um, you know, what would we do? What would we do? Like, right. You know what I mean? Like, I think these people are not, I don't think you're supposed to give them a level of intelligence that maybe somebody who is used to stealing or, or you, when you see in films, like what happens, the perfect score, the perfect getaway, that kind right. of thing. That's what I'm, that's what I was thinking when I was th seeing, I agree with you. They're dumb right. moves. But then I was like, well, okay, well that's, is that true to the characters or is that because I'm sitting here going, I've seen movies where they've done this the right way. And these guys are not doing it the right way. I, I don't know because the, the initial plan is a smart plan, right? The initial plan absolutely makes sense. You wait 
it's it's New Year's Day. You wait what four months till the spring comes and they find the plane, no money. All right, good, but you're done. Mm-hmm. None of them can wait the four months. Mm-hmm. You just get Lou going. I need that money now. I need that money now. People are coming tomorrow to get. Everybody's coming tomorrow, Lou. Mm-hmm. Everybody's coming tomorrow. So wait your four months. Well, he's lying. He's he's he's. Uh, I understand. Yeah, he has no money. He's probably going. He's saying he's going to lose the house. He doesn't work. So dumb. Yeah. So dumb. Just just dumb. Just dumb. <laughs> well, I think that's just again. I believe that that's their characters. That so you come upon four point four million dollars. What are you doing, Butler? How you how you playing it with with two other buddies? Well, I'm giving it back. I, I'm yeah. not. not it's too much that. money. That's it's too, too much, much money. Too yeah. much. I'm not going to risk my life to go to jail because uh, that's that's also uh, worthless. I'm I'm a poor man, but I'd rather be poor and free than. Uh, well, you're not poor. You're not poor like these guys. Not like these guys. Yeah. But well, Bill Paxton's not poor. That's the whole thing. That's what he says at the beginning. It's he's not that he's house, not poor, he's but he but he's a, he's a cashier at a mill at at a at a. Like what is it a, a mill station? Uh, he is like an assistant manager at a mill yeah, station. Yeah, with that guy, all his boss does is on the phone all the time, giving him looks like, "Oh, do something." <laughs> but it's like that's that's life. That's you know, you're still living. You still got a house. You got a wife. You got a kid on the way. You know, he's got more than me. <laughs> and it's like, that's just it's still not worth you know risking your freedom for that money. Right. Okay. So you you it's just dirty money. It's just too scary. All right. So your your biggest thing is that the the decisions that they were making were not good. Were not smart. The initial decision was right. smart, and then the, the decisions afterward made no sense. Like Hank going, "You can't tell your wife. You can't tell your wife." And then he just and then tells, he immediately tells Sarah. Yes, it's just like yeah, four months. You just gotta wait four months. What and is he's so happy about it? It's such a shifting character from him being so nervous about this money and so careful. And like this is the only way I'll do it. If we have this money and we don't tell anybody, we do it in the spring. And then he just goes home and goes, what would you do if you found $4 million? And he dumps right. the money everywhere. I was right. just like, where's this character well, coming from? Well, the money is a corruptor. You know, it's not. It, money that. reveals your true, your true nature. Which, oh, I think, which is, yeah, he, he's really a monster. But I, but, well, I will say, I was going to actually say that the one person that in this story that really changes is Sarah. You know, she's somebody, you know, like she is like the conniver. Like she, she becomes she's, Lady Macbeth. Yes. And she's like trying to get him to do things. She's trying to get him to, you know, she gives him the idea to do the, to put the money back, which leads to a death, which, uh, because, you know, Stevenson right. finds him. In the she, play. Yep. Yeah. She gets the idea to record, record Lou, which leads to two deaths, you know, and leads to them. She just makes it worse. And, and at the end, when he's just shoving her down and burning the money because the money's no good, because he finds out at the end that the FBI has marked like one bill and 50 packs. They didn't mark them. They, they wrote them down. They wrote them down. Recorded so this, know, yeah. Right. So they don't. And so there's no way to know which money it is. When I'm listening to that and I'm watching the movie, I'm thinking to myself, okay, so you have to clean the money. So like, how would you clean? Like, like you know what That's I mean? That's what I was thinking yeah. too. There's got to be because- they're not going to count every bill that goes into a cash register. Well, they would have to go somewhere and get the money clean somebody. Yeah. They'd have to go find They'd have to find somebody who's disreputable, obviously, and they're going to have to pay a fee. So they're going to lose a chunk of the money. Also, they're going to risk that they're going to lose all of it because they're probably, these people might just steal them, rip, rip exactly, them offline. Yeah. Oh, we'll clean it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I mean, it's not like that's, again, but while I'm watching this with, because you made the quote, you made the comment that, you know, you've seen it done before. Now, have, have you seen it done before in movies? Mm-hmm. Have you seen it done before? Since then to now or before these movie came out? Because you know how we talk about when this movie came out in 98, 99? If you see movies from 20 years from there to now, it, you can't really hold this movie accountable because it came before them. Well, there's just a lot of movies about greed and about finding, like not even just finding money, but coming into money or a bunch of robbers getting stuff. I mean, it's, it's I mean, this movie is apparently based on uh, Chaucer. Oh uh, yeah, story. it's it's got its roots are Loosely. from Chaucer's uh, Partner's Tale. Yes, a reworking of Chaucer's Partner's Tale. That's what the note I had is. Yes, but it's just kind of like how greed corrupts and stuff like that. It's just I've seen some stuff before, and there's stuff that's after, and it is a little different. It's it's definitely more. You know, I don't know if I found anything with somebody finding just a bag of money. There's always you know hello. You do you you know when you get that you get that at the end of films when like the the. You have your hero who's just trying to get out of a tough situation or, and it ends You're up, everyone dies and the yeah. trunk opens and there's money in there. And he just takes it and go, you get a lot of that. Yeah, or like or in like rain guy. or in reindeer games when Ben Affleck's the last one left <laughs> yeah. and he has the money, he's just walking down the street, putting the money in people's, uh, isn't that where he's putting the money in people's yeah, mailboxes? mailboxes yep. Yeah. So you have that. Yeah. But in this case, you know, you almost think you're going to get that ending. 
and then you find out about the money being dirty, and you're just like, Ooh, well, yeah, because he, but that's that's. But Hank doesn't deserve Hank, that money, right? Because he's, he's killed he's killed two people, three pe- two. Yeah, he's killed two people, two people, and no, well, three people because his brother told him just to just to do he it. He was gonna do it if he didn't. Yeah, right, right. What did you think of Jacob? What do you think? Because I didn't. I thought he was a little inconsistent. <laughs> Jacob, yeah, he's. Well, I think Billy Bob Thornton did a great job portraying him. It was just very much like, is he someone who has a disability? Is he just someone who's stupid? You know, I do think he goes through it the most change. I think he goes from wanting the money the most to learning that, you know, that greed corrupts. He actually learns his lesson I don't in see, a much better I think way he just, than Hank does. He just gives up. He just doesn't want, because he, he had it because his friend's dead. Because he finds out what it's doing. He killed his friend. He killed his best friend. Well, he even, even before that, he doesn't like, he didn't want to go to, you know, when Lou was talking to him about stuff before he goes to visit Hank in the nursery. Yeah. And he goes, I don't want to pick sides. like, everybody tell me to pick sides. I don't want to pick sides. Mm-hmm. And then he ends up having to pick Hank. Well, you're my brother, so of course I'm choosing you. Yeah. And then he doesn't want to do, he doesn't want to set Lou up. And then he does. And then, because then he feels like Lou's just going to keep making fun of Hank as well. Mm-hmm. So he ends up going back to Hank's side and doesn't want to do any of it. And he regrets, I think he says it before Lou dies, I regret that we ever found this money. Yeah. Well, here's the thing with 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 Jacob because one of the, the the scene when they go to visit their parents' grave or the mother's grave maybe and maybe it wasn't the father, maybe it was both. I don't know. But they go to visit the grave because you know he puts the flowers down mm-hmm. and he's like, oh, somebody's been here. And and Jacob goes, we don't, you know, that's me. We don't you have know, to just come here to once, one, a year. once a year, once a year to, to do this. So you get the idea that you know Jacob really misses his parents, or, you know, values. But then like immediately. Luke calls him and says, like, I'm drawing my name. He's peeing in oh, the snow. Hold on. Let me whip my Johnson yeah. out. Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't under, like it doesn't like that's the thing. What happens? Like he'll Jacob will have this moment of clarity or this moment where he's speaking, you know, from the heart. Yeah. And yeah. then he'll have his completely dumb. <laughs> All right. Let's do that. And I'm just like, I don't this doesn't match up to me. Right. Yeah. And there's a couple of times like that where it's just. I don't get it. I don't get why. I don't I don't understand his moment of clarity when he talks about the father committing suicide. Yeah. It's so like thought out and like, wow, you really thought this through. That makes sense. Yeah. To how do you figure that out when you can't figure anything yeah, out? Yeah. So I didn't I and I don't maybe that's what they were going for. That that his character is, is more complex than but it, it it the transition didn't really tell me that. It didn't really tell me that he's somebody who has a lot of complexities to his emotional, you know, background. Right. So I didn't get that. I just got somebody who was just going back and forth from being dumb, but not dumb, but dumb, but not dumb. And I was just like, when he panics and kills him, hits him with the crowbar. Like I didn't get that. I, I, it was just kind of like, Oh, no, that made him. no yeah. sense. Yeah. So I, I didn't understand any of that. And obviously you find out later he didn't actually kill him because he was just knocked out. Hey, right. finished the job. So yeah, I, that, that, that was a little like, I just didn't know. I, I didn't understand that. But I will say this in terms of the movie itself. I thought that the opening, when Hank gets picked up by Jacob to go, like you, you, you're introduced to Hank and you get the voiceover and I'll get to the voiceover later, but you get to the voiceover, how he's, you know, he gives us like a little like entryway into the movie. He's, right. He's covering for somebody. You know, I had to learn the line, you know, stay out the, the hung the last dog. I wanted to be like, what the hell what the hell is that? <laughs> so when he says that, and I found out that that's actually a reference back to the 14th century and a dog is some, as a reference to an undesirable person. So when you would hang them because they're being hanged to death, you'd wait until they die and then you the last one stay out. You know what I mean? So okay. stay out until they hung the last I dog. I mean, I just figured it meant till, you know, the bars all closed. No, I get that. Yeah. But I was like, they're really hanging they dogs. Me? Yeah. <laughs> But anyways, so you meet that and then he gets in the car with Lou and Jacob. They go to visit the uh, mother's grave, but then they're going to. I think, it's, I think you're right the first time. I think it's both their graves because it just says Mitchell. Yeah, but, yeah. but the whole the whole thing is they're going to visit the grave, but Jacob's dropping Lou off at the house after. So yes. he's just, yeah. But you get there, you get with the conversation in the trunk and, and leading up to finding the money, the dialogue between the characters you get the relationships like you understand jacob jacob and hank's relationship in that in that dialogue you understand jacob and lou's friendship and the tension between all three like you you get all that so it lays the groundwork for what's to come like it lays the groundwork for these are the characters these are how they interact Mm -hmm. you already know like when they find the money you already know kind of how it's going to end because you just know that they're not going to they're not going to get all on the the same page here so i thought that was a really good job in the opening about that uh, sure. just, just kind of introducing the characters and whatnot. So I thought the writing in that was really good uh, in that moment. And I, I, right. I don't generally have an issue with any of the writing in the film. I understand what you're saying in terms of. 
Oh, I think the dialogue's good. I think the storyline is the storyline is just kind of okay. Mm-hmm. But no, I do think some of the dialogue is really good, which helps the performance as well. Do you think I want to get into maybe the behind the scenes of this movie because this movie was in developmental hell I, since 1993. I, yeah. So I'm going to run through it real quick. Scott Smith is, is a screenwriter and he initially was going to write this as a screenplay, decided not to wrote it as a, wrote it as a book. He wrote a story for the New Yorker that somebody saw it, liked it, said, Hey, you work on anything else. And then this is what became of the book it was this movie. So Mike Nichols purchased the rights for this book for 250,000. And then if his production company was going to get it going, which was Icarus productions, it was going to, he was going to another 750,000 off of that. The script, the manuscript was optioned to Savoy pictures. And then Nichols stepped away from the project because he was doing all the pretty horses. So he couldn't do it. So now Savoy pictures has it. Mm-hmm. Ben Stiller came on and signed a two picture deal with Savoy. Uh, and he spent nine months on the script with Smith. And, and one of the, I have a quote here from Smith about writing the screenplay. He said, Stiller, he's like, Ben really taught me how to write a script. I don't know that he ever explicitly said it, but by imagining the script as a verbal description of a movie, the movie that I wanted the book to be, it's very simple, but it really was the key to everything for me. Just imagining what was on the page. I was shortchanging the visual in my script, concentrating on dialogue, which I imagine is a very common first time screenwriter's mistake. And to suddenly just do it visually opened up everything for me. So I guess Ben still had a big time influence on the script with with the screenwriter here, but then he had a falling out with Savoy. So over the budget and Stiller left, left the project. 95, January 95, John Dahl is announced as director and Nicolas Cage is playing Hank. Do you like Nicolas Cage's Hank? No. Really? I, I actually was like, I don't mind that. I think it'd be interesting, but I also, I, I don't know. But you think it's going to be trapped in paradise? I really, yeah, <laughs> I really like, I really like uh, Bill Paxton. I don't, I don't, I don't see and the I replacement of Bill Paxton. This is very similar. Like if Cage was playing this role, yes, this is definitely a Nicolas Cage role, but I think that's why I would prefer Bill, Bill Paxton because if Cage was in this role, I'd be like, yeah, no, he's Hank. That, that makes sense. Well, I, I, just I think thought, he'd do a good job. I thought it'd be, yeah, I thought, it, I'm not saying that he would have been better than Bill Paxton, but I thought he could have done the role. Right. All right. So November of 95, this is 11 months later. Savoy's like, listen, we're out of making films. We're done. They no longer want to make films anymore. They're acquired by Silver King Broadcasting, which is basically the home shopping network. And, and then they're put up for sale. And then that's when Doll and Cage left the project. Paramount Pictures comes in and buys the project. They, Scott Rudin hires John Borman to direct, and he cast Paxton and Thornton. And then John Borman was going to begin filming in January 98. He did scouting. He did location scouting. He was ready to go, but budget again caused him just to leave the film. There was a, he's out. So then Paramount hired Sam Raimi. Mm-hmm. Like, so this is not Sam Raimi. This is Sam Raimi in 1998. This is not Sam Raimi now, who can just probably just greenlight a picture by saying, I'm on it. I'm, I want right. to do it. And, be, and Sam Raimi is coming off of like the evil dead. He's coming off of those more visual. Well, he, he, so basically up to this time, he did dark man, evil dead. He's been doing movies that are more visually, you know, it's more about the visuals. Right. He wanted to do more character driven stories, which is why he wanted to do it, but he couldn't scout locations. So he had to just simply go and shoot based upon what someone else. Borman's, had done, right? Yeah. Borman's notes. And then obviously, you know, they, they made the movie. So I thought that was, I think, do you think all of that, good or bad affected this movie in terms of what you saw on screen, all the stuff that I just listed out. Uh, it could have, I mean, other movies development, how happens and other movies ha- and some movies come out great, uh, great for it. Right. Uh, it certainly could have been something that has affected the film. I mean, obviously Ben Stiller on it kind of helped it. Well, the original script was 256 pages. That's way too long. <laughs> how do you, how do you write that thinking that that's going to be, yeah, we're going to make this. How do you write that? You write it and go, yeah, we'll cut it later. No, we'll cut it later. But yeah, just write what you want. <laughs> it's like, I think when you write something that long, you're going to put important stuff in scenes that need to be cut. Mm-hmm. I think you have to write with a maximum of like 160 in your head. You have to, you can't submit a film that's that long because things are going to end up on the cutting room floor. That's going to affect your story or your character development. You know, what was it? We did an episode a few weeks ago or last season or so, and it was like 300 page script or something like that. It was a ridiculously long script and there's no way that has, does not affect was it the founder? Your film. It could have been. It might the founder, have been the founder. Yeah. It's like that's going to affect your story in some way. Now the the founder ended up great, but I think you lose stuff on the cutting room floor that if you really try to hone it in, you won't. But I do think. I mean, Sam Raimi coming off no film is for love of the game is what I was thinking of, and that came out after this. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, this probably does help Sam Raimi do something a little bit more down to earth. Mm-hmm. Um and normal, and I know he got the Cohen brothers or Joel Cohen helped them out. 
Well, he's with learning to film and like. Ramey w- like has that. worked on Coen Brothers films. He worked on like a second director, yeah. assistant director. So he's, so he's learned a lot yeah. of that stuff. Yeah, no, absolutely. But uh, I think some of the stuff helped. Yeah, and some of the stuff probably didn't. Uh, so yeah, I. <laughs> the film adaptation, I guess, is less violent than the book. So there's more violence in the book than it is in the movie. And I actually kind of was like, I don't want to see it on screen. I don't see why. Where are you hiding from? What, what, what would be more violent? Maybe just know. more murders. Maybe the murders are more bloody. Okay. Bloodier, I mean, excuse me. Lou, Lou just kind of gets a little hole in them, but like the blood is everywhere. It looks like well, his brains get blown well, out. That's the thing. You don't see that. You don't see the bullet hole. In yeah. Him. You just see, you see his ear. Uh, it's like, what did he clip his ear? That's what I thought. Like, yeah. oh, so he's not dead. And then. All the pool of blood comes out the back of his head. And maybe they just maybe they just weren't showing it an, uh, uh, as much. Um, Sarah, Sarah definitely got shot. Oh, she got blown away. That's that's classic Sam Raimi though. Like, <laughs> like he couldn't resist. He couldn't wall. resist. <laughs> so he looked at the blowing shotgun, took off her feet. So I'm yeah. technically doing what. <laughs> so she's gonna launch across the wall on a string. <laughs> he couldn't resist that. I get that. <laughs> uh, cinematographer Cavillo was influenced by the 1967 movie In Cold Blood. The work of photographer Robert Frank and photos that were taken during location uh, scouts, location scouting in Delano, uh, Minnesota, or Delano, excuse me, for the look of this film. Um, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't light exteriors, uh, obviously, because it's just outdoor in the snow. You just kind of like the went snow as lights is. itself. Yeah. Yeah. Do you? What do you think of the look of the film? I think. How, how about this? What do you think of the exteriors first? Because I'll get to the interiors. <laughs> The exteriors are really good. I like how realistic it looks. I like how snowy it looks. It's, I like that. Yeah, it's you know, snowy, it's just it's dirty. It's 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 not to saturate it, but just kind of like eh, gray. It's, it's very Fargo. Yeah. I mean, oh, it's, totally. Yeah, it's Fargo because of the snow, <laughs> and that's what you're you can't of. help but compare it to that. Yeah, I think I think that's just going to be in your brain the whole time. I'm thinking of, I watched this before I even read the note about you know Sam Raimi being influenced by the Coens to shoot in snow. Mm-hmm. I'm going. This is a Coen Brothers movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, they had to move production to Wisconsin. Because there was no snow in Minnesota because of El Nino. So to find more snow. But then when they went back to Minnesota, they had to use fake snow. They had to use fake synthetic snow, mm. shaved ice, and then you know, to kind of like make the snow wherever the scenes back, were. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think it, I think it looks, because it does look, it's gray. It's foreboding. Mm-hmm. It's like two colors, almost black and white. And it's very desaturated. Mm-hmm. So what do you think about the interior lighting? Uh, How about this? Their house. Um, Lou's Hanks, house. Not Lou's house. Because Lou's house doesn't look real. Well, Lou, no, <laughs> Lou's house is real. Lou's house is, is that was actually, because the note here I have, it was an abandoned house, but it had low ceilings and had no heat. So it was really tough to shoot for them there. But it's a real house. It's just abandoned. Oh, it looks like. Yeah. But Hank and Sarah's house, um, the, the one thing with that house that I kept thinking of was when we talked about Red Rock West and the 90s style of lighting. Mm-hmm. Um, I know in Lou's house, they used a China ball. They just had a China ball light up and they just, especially in the kitchen scene, because that's why there's a lot of pockets of shadow. Right. But in Hank's and Sarah's house, I felt like they just threw on a 5K and blasted it through the windows. Oh, yeah, for yeah. sure. And so, Which I didn't mind. I mean, no, but it's I, just movie we talk about then. that. But that, yeah, it's definitely yeah. 90s movie lighting. Yeah. But Lou's house, because I think maybe it's abandoned, because they use set lights everywhere, mm. it looks filmy. It looks like a set. Like a set. It looks like a horror movie, like all of a sudden. It's less desaturated, I think. Well, it just looks like. It's probably nice that because it's different. abandoned, you can destroy things in yeah there. yeah yeah absolutely because even because when hank at the end after everything's happened he just starts blowing things away with the shotgun i'm like they probably were really doing that oh for sure yeah not with the gun with the with the bullet with squibs and with stuff squibs, but yeah. yeah yeah blowing the chandelier and yeah. the holes in the wall the bar that they have the fight in mm-hmm. did you read about that yeah it's a converted uh like residence so it was a bar it was a bar that got turned into somebody a bought it right and he it was a privatized bar he was a private bar he made it still his own but he lives above in the apartments right and they had to go in there and kind of set it up to look like what a, a dive bar, bar kind of like. a thing, but it yeah. worked i thought it worked it's like i said the actual bar in delano was too nice yeah but like <laughs> but here's the other thing that bar is that guy's bar that's nice that is cool yeah <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine having that in your like in your home you're at a downstairs bar like That'd that like, awesome. it seats like 10 people yeah, yeah. i'll be like all right let's come on down guys come on down <laughs> yeah, absolutely no i thought that was interesting um yeah i don't know i just like that what did you think of the cop what did you think of uh what's his name oh the sheriff the well, carl yeah carl. what what I, like in terms of like what uh, the way they play him it's almost like he's He's onto them, but he's not onto them. I don't think. I think he's smart. I think he's a guy. He's, he's a. He's not an idiot. He he knows when he's being shined on. Right. And I don't think he. I don't think he ever suspects anything from them. You know, in terms of like, I don't think he ever suspects them of doing anything wrong. Um, 
I just think he's just he he takes Gary uh, when Gary Cole backs to show up. Who says he's the FBI agent? But he's not. He's one of these. Well, he definitely takes him for his word. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, his badge. Yeah. I don't know. So maybe he's too trusting. Maybe. But then, like, there was a moment when, like, he comes into the he comes into the barber shop and he right. tells Hank, "Hey, you and your brother come down." And, you know, FBI said one time. He's looking at him. Yeah. He remembered the conversation about the plane, so he's like, "Hey, come down." But then he's like, "Hey, you're getting a little thin up top." And I'm thinking to myself. Why is he saying that? Is he saying that because he's just, that's the relationship or he's just like a dick? Like, you know, like, you know, like I thought that was interesting. Exactly. It almost seems like, Hey, you're really nervous about something. I can tell you're mm -hmm. hiding something from me. Mm -hmm. And it looks like that in the interrogation room as well. It seems like he's, he realizes that Hank's story is, is got some holes. There's something about Lou's murder or the murder suicide. Mm -hmm. It doesn't quite add up. And See, it's just like, but you never get that. Well, when Jacob comes, when they first see the, we're talking about dumb moves now. So they find the money mm -hmm. and they're like, they, they come up with the plan and they're like, we got to count it. Why are you counting it on the side of the road? I was, well, yeah. In the middle of the cold. Like, yeah. Which made no sense. Get out of there. So obviously he, I, I'm assuming he's the sheriff. So he comes up. Right. And then Jacob comes out of the car and just says like, Hey, did you hear that plane? Like just says something out of nowhere. Yeah. I would, I would think that they were screwed at that point. Like at that, actually they were screwed at the point of counting the money on the side of the road, but they were screwed when Jacob comes out and says that. So it obviously stuck with Carl, mm -hmm. but it didn't stick with Carl in the way of like, I don't think in the way of what's going on. These guys are up to no good. It just stuck with him that like, Oh, these guys heard something. Maybe they can help him out. Like, I don't think he ever thought that they were involved in anything like that. Oh, and that at that point, yeah. no, yeah. I mean, they're a bunch of idiots. And yeah. obviously the story about the dog jumping out, Chasing the fox. Yeah. A was real and B believable with these guys. Right, right. But yeah, the plane comment kind of tips them off. But as soon as the plane comment and the FBI guy kind of come together, it's kind of like, because mm. you have to imagine this takes place over the course of what, maybe a month well, total? It's it's the winter. So yeah, over over a month. Let's say yeah. a month, a couple weeks. Yeah. Totally. So you would think that at that point with the plane thing, he'd be like, oh, okay. Mm -hmm. And Lou died, and you know yeah, when the, when the bodies start adding up, yeah, they get like you're. This is a small town that you wouldn't. That a lot of people die like often, like in terms of like uh, uh, not not that natural, but like suspicious circumstances, right? Yeah, and you've got two people that are involved in it. It's like something's up. He, you, maybe maybe there should have been maybe there was more in the book given to Carl in terms of like he's figuring it all out, right? In this in the movie, he's definitely somebody who's just kind of like. Not all shucks, not stupid, just wasn't really, hadn't really figured it out yet. Right. But like he was getting there, maybe. I would have just liked a little bit more where it just kind of, there were there were more choices made or less choices made as to him seeming like he was figuring out some holes in stories. Well, he also talks about how like Jacob clearly is always in trouble with the law. Like he's drunk in a lot. He's, he's always, so, like almost the town. Right. Like Lou's obviously got the title town drunk apparently, yeah, but yeah. Jacob's like but right next to him. Jacob is not somebody who is, is somebody who knows Carl way too much and shouldn't yeah. kind of thing. But he doesn't ever, like even when the stuff starts in the beginning, he doesn't ever really kind of put that together. Like, okay, there's stuff going on and Jacob's a part of it. Right. So yes. So I didn't, yeah. Like even when like Hank's trying to tell him when they're doing the interrogation, he's like, no, Jacob said that you went out to the car. Oh yeah. I, I guess can you see, can see. Yeah. I could see why. Even there though, you would think that, okay, what's going on? Well, that's why Carl's looking at him. Like but looks then, at him like, yeah. oh man, Hank, why are you? And like, he's, it seems to me, and maybe it's just the actor choices or maybe it, he was told to play it that way. Mm -hmm. It really seems like he's, he's seeing something wrong with this story. Right. But you never get, anything more with that. And it's unfortunate. I think that Carl dies because I think it would be more interesting if he kind of at least had another couple moments where he was alive or right. just something more than just his instant death. Cause then you end up having the ending the way it is. And I, I want to get to the voiceover. I don't, I, I don't think the, the movie could have ended with the money burning. I Yeah. I thought it was, I thought the fade out, fade the black credits. Right. The, the stuff with, with the voiceover with Hank talking about how, whatever life blows and my wife doesn't love me anymore. Like that's basically yeah. what you're saying. Look, well, like we don't need that. I know that's going to happen by you burning the money and was, shoving her aside. Yeah, it was clear when she gets shoved to the end of the table. Yeah. I knew, I already know that you guys were not going to last. I don't, I didn't, I just didn't need the voice or him going back to the farm. And like, I don't need that. I don't, I don't need it. And uh, I thought that I just, it didn't make sense. It was, it, I didn't like that. The other thing, I, the, did you, did you, you didn't like it either? I didn't like the voiceovers. Yeah. I didn't think it was necessary. The other thing I thought was, Really on the nose 
but didn't really make much sense unless you're saying what I'm about to say is the fox in the hen house. That oh. meta, like, are you trying to tell me that the fox is the money and the where the, and the guys are the hens? It's like, okay, fine, but that's so on the nose. I, and, that, yeah. that's my first note. Is there's a fox in the hen yeah. house? I was just like, <laughs> mm. like as soon as there's a fox, I go, Jesus, like, <laughs> <"Land> thick. <laughs> I was waiting for that, and then I was waiting for. Because they show the raven sitting above the plane. That I was too. like, give me three ravens and then go back and there'd be two ravens on the yeah. tree and one raven on the tree. Or the whole fact or the ravens, yeah. there are more and more. They're as waiting the for something to die. It's yeah. Like, okay. I was like, <laughs> it was a little much. It was a little just like, I get it. Don't explain your symbolism. I could just imagine, just imagine they're writing like, oh man, right? And like this fox, you open up with the fox walking around across the field. And he's, where is he going? The hen house. <laughs> all right, follow me here. Follow me. I'm like, all right, enough. <laughs> that was in the pitch. And like, you're going to put the fox in the, in the movie? Yeah, I was just, eh. And then yeah. they, obviously they use that to explain how Stevenson, if that was his name, I can't remember, comes over with the, oh, just, a fox stole my chickens. And he comes <laughs> over. I'm like, all right. You know, I really still didn't need that. You could have just had him coming over saying the fox stole his chicken. You could have had the fox darting across with the chicken without anything in the opening. Right. And you would have been fine with that. Yep. So, I, yeah, that that was a little too much, I thought, um, such as the voiceover. But I do like, before I do that, let me go to the one, one other thing I don't like. But then it turns into something I do like. A lot of this movie is... Stuff happens, and then some character goes, "Okay, how do we explain this?" Like, like that's like violence. Oh, we got to get our story straight. Like, yeah. like a lot of those, like three or four times where that happens, and we're just kind of like, all right, eh. all right, all right, all right. So there's a debate. All right, so I'm here, you're here. Yeah, and I'm like, this isn't interesting anymore. Like, I don't care. Yeah, I don't care about what you're gonna do, what lie you're gonna say, because it's just like it's enough already. Like, I, I like it when it's the one big lie, and then it kind of everything spirals out of that. But right. like, constantly going like, how are we gonna explain all this? But I do like the line when Baxter is uh, Gary Cole's character is like, what are you going to do? Oh, I love that. Yeah. You, how are you going to explain it? You're going to have to. We're both going to have a lot of explaining to do. And he's no. like, just me. And just he shoots me. him right in the head, which is great. I love the line right before that where he says something akin to like, you don't have it. You're not cold blooded killer. And I'm just thinking, oh, shit, you don't know Hank very well. I'm, I'm just like, you're dead. <laughs> and that's that's also uh, I and I wonder if this would have been a little bit better if the introduction of Baxter is earlier in the movie. You know what I mean? I, I would think so. Yeah. So it's more like the ticking clock. It's, he shows up immediately. You know what I mean? Then like, it absolutely would have been a Coen brothers movie though. But, but it would have <laughs> been more, it would have right been more interesting. It would have been a little more tense. Yeah, yeah. I agree. You know, and, and so you would have had more, it would just, instead of, it was almost like two different stories. It's almost like it's almost like he's the evil MacGuffin coming in at the end, where he's just like, "I'm the guy," you we know, gotta wrap this up. Yeah, <laughs> but it because it initially because it would have been better if that would never happen. It was just three guys going at it. Money's oh, yeah. never explained. It never like you know, it's just three guys going at it, or and the, you know everything. The whole town's riled up into it. Rather than have this exterior guy come in here who's from no, oh, it's my money, oh, you know, and then it's a shootout, and so it it almost feels like there's two little two different things going on here. Two different right. movies, two subplots when one could have been the main plot. Uh, that being said, I, I still like the film, but I understand what you're talking about in terms of the problems that we're talking about. Right. Have. Yeah. Yeah. Like uh, the thing I hate the most, more than just the dumb, the, the dumb stories. My least favorite part of the film is when Hank goes back into Carl's office with the uh, blinds open, yeah. closes his office door, yeah. unlocks the gun cabinet in plain sight of probably 30 people in the next room, mm -hmm. gets the gun, sits down at the desk, opens all the drawers looking for ammunition. Yeah. It's just like, come it on. It would have been, it would, it was too much. It would have been much better if he puts the service revolver or something in his drawer. Yeah. And, and Hank, Hank opens it up, grabs the, the gun, and just sees all these bullets, bullets and grabs them and goes. It's like a much shorter scene because I like the stuff where he's trying to get the right bullet. Oh, I do in the too because it's in, no one else ta ever talks about that. Right, movies. bullets always fit every right. gun. In so, I, I, yeah, the whole thing where he's like looking, unlocking it, like, like I'm sorry, but like you would have gotten caught. It's five minutes. It's like, and yeah. he's, he's not even the hiding door. the gun. Oh, I forgot my hat. Let me go grab it. Shuts the door. Oh, why do you just shut the door to get the yeah. hat, man? And then he's facing outward toward yeah. the window with the gun at his stomach. Yeah. And not then, even hiding yeah. the gun. And then he honks the horn. Like he's really going to honk the horn waiting for him to come. It's just, <laughs> it's agreed. That was way too much. Uh, it was, I don't know why they had it. It was like, draw, I don't know why it was drawn out like that. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then you look at, and now you're searching more. Yeah. Just shorten that up. Open the drawer, grab the gun. Oh shoot. All these bullets. Let's go. I gotta yeah. go. I gotta go. Yeah. No, that would have been much better. My least favorite scene in the home. <laughs> no, I, that, like, I, I agree. I agree. I do think though, that this is the perfect winter film. 
This is definitely oh, that, a film to watch. Yeah, there. absolutely. Yeah. If we're getting into why it's forgotten. Yeah, go ahead. The release well, yeah. date is definitely not a reason. I think absolutely the perfect release date for the film. Well, Both I, the I, limited and the actual. Well, now we're though. talking about how we don't. We're, we're, here's the thing. We've just sat here talking about how we didn't like some of the stuff in the movie, but it was nominated for best writing. So, I mean, who are we to say? Well, like we said, I the dialogue and the acting and stuff is, is top notch. Yeah. It's just some story choices are not. Yeah. But like I also say, the ending narration aside, I think elevates this film a lot. Because mm-hmm. while I'm watching it, the ending, I'm like, oof. That's a good ending. That's a powerful ending. I like that. I like that Jacob is killing, like killing himself and gives up. I like that. And I think that makes the story worthwhile. Right. Cause I was just, if you had, you didn't really start with asking me, Oh, you did ask me what I thought about the movie. And I had more of an explanation than good, bad, but I think that's different. <laughs> I think that's why I had that explanation that I did. Cause I think if you had asked me without that ending, if it was more of a rote ending, I would have been like, it was all right. Yeah. But I like that ending to the point where I was like, this is an okay movie mm-hmm. with a fantastic cast and an amazing ending. And so I cut you off, but why do you think uh, it was forgotten? Because the rest of the movie's rather... Like, why do you think this Because this movie's uh, Oscar darling. It's, uh, I think that's also why it might be forgotten. You think it's, that it just kind of like slipped? It's not fun. It's kind of It's dreary. Yeah it's, yeah. it's it's not a romance. It's not an action movie. It's not the first Bill Paxton movie you're going to put in. Yeah, it's not a heist movie. You're gonna, you're gonna, honestly, you're going to probably put in Frailty more because Frailty is a better film. I love Frailty. But you're going to put that in. Um, it's not a movie that Billy Bl- Billy Bob Thornton is known for. He's known for Sling Blade. Although, he's, yeah, he does a great job as Jacob, although some of his choices, but that could be, that's more the writing than. Yeah, no. But uh, no, yeah. You, this is right after Sling Blade, too. This is like a year or two. Yeah, this is, he, he basically, after. he was, if, for those who don't follow Billy Bob Thornton's career, he was struggling to to latch on, and he's a he's a good actor, and, right? And he just basically said, you know, what, screw it, I'm going to do my own thing, and he did Sling Blade. He wrote it. He put all his buddies in it. You know, John Ritter, Briscoe here, who's in this yep. one. He put all his uh, Dwight Yoakam. He put all his guys in it. It's a fantastic film. It's a great film. Uh, you know, it deserved the nom- It deserved the award, and that catapulted him. Then he's in Armageddon. He's in like you know, which I yep. love. I love Armageddon because he has the uh, ketchup scene. <laughs> I love what his uh, agent told him why he took the Armageddon job. Everyone should have their face on a. Every actor should have his face on a bus poster or bus shelter poster at least once. Yeah. No, he, he's he's. I watch him in. He's got a show on Amazon that's I think wrapped up called Goliath, where he's a um a lawyer. He's a lawyer, but he's really good in it. He, uh, he's he's really good. He does, you know. So right. Um, no, he deserved that nomination. He's awesome, awesome in the first season of Fargo. Um, I love the TV show, not the movie. Obviously, right. the TV show. He's fantastic in that. Um, but anyway, I'll get off that train. But uh, I yeah. think it's just hard to sell this movie. It's like, would I recommend this to somebody? I I, don't I know would. Who I would recommend. I this would. To. No, I would recommend he, it to only me. like big time. I recommend Cinema people guys. like no. I recommend that people like mysteries or film noirs because this is again this is other this is listed as a neo noir which I don't. I always equate neo noir with future. I don't know why. I always I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. But um, no, I think I would recommend this movie to people that like you know these type of like noir films because it, it is know. a classic yeah. film noir. I think it's a harder watch than something like Red Rock West though. Uh, I don't. I don't. Uh, I think this has a lot more production in it than Red Rock West does. They oh, money. so do I. But I think there's there's not a lot of fun or intrigue or, or it, this. It's a very dour movie. Okay, and I think that's yeah. I think that's just again. I watched it. You watched. It. I think a lot of people who really like cinema will watch it. But I think it's hard sell for the masses, and not in a way that I usually say where it's like the masses are dumb. It's just it's it's tough to want to watch this movie. Well, I, well, let's be honest. It's not like it's out everywhere. I just it, the fact that you can't get it on Blu-ray. There's no Blu-ray for it. There's, no, I take it back. You can't get a Blu-ray. It's a German Blu-ray. So <laughs> Germany made a Blu-ray for it. Um, I am surprised. Billy Bob Thornton, Bill Paxton. Like, even if it's a lesser-known movie, you'd think well, there would be. Well, a it might be no special well, features. It might be tied up in who owns it because I, I gave you four eight distributors and eight production yeah. companies. So it might be somewhere like who the hell owns this thing. But like, yeah, if you want the Blu-ray, get a region-free player and then go get it from uh, Germany. And Here's what pisses me off. Okay. It's a Paramount movie, right? Yes. Kind of. What? Sort of. Oh, mostly. here we go. Yep. It's not a Paramount Plus. So here's the thing. So I'm on the Roku. And as you, for those people who have Roku out there, you click that button for the microphone and you say, a simple plan. And then it pops up where you can get it. And it says streaming on Paramount Plus oh, with subscription. It? And then I click on it and it sends me to the Paramount Plus main page. And I'm like, it's not on Paramount Plus. I go, 
why are you saying it's on there? So yeah, that I, I, I don't know if, and it was the middle of the month. So it's not like it like changed, changed over. Yeah. So yeah, I don't, I don't get that. But it's not streaming anywhere. You get the, I had to pay for it. Honestly. Unbelievable. So here's the thing. I've given, (laughs) there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff in this film. And there's a lot of stuff like, you know, just kind of the movie itself. Right. I can make an argument that this should be released on Blu-ray and this should have like a a supplemental edition. Like this should have a, this should have a Blu-ray release is the fact that it's, it's from 98. And, it, and it's just a DVD. That's a little unfair. I, I think this movie does. It's a. It's got nominated for two Academy Awards. Yeah, I don't see why it can't get a Blu-ray. And it's Sam Raimi. Yeah, no, that's yeah. So that's a little bit like, come on, Paramount, put it out. Let's go. <laughs> Whoever's who. I don't want. I don't want to get a region free player, but let's go here. <laughs> All right. So uh, I, I may you might not recommend it to a lot of people. Like in terms of like you recommend it to film goers and and film aficionados. Yeah, it's a tough sell. I think I would recommend it. My circle would be bigger. I would recommend it to people that hey. I'm looking for a movie. And if it, like, let's say come February, which it is now, obviously when everyone's listening to this and it's snowing out and someone's like, Oh, what should I watch? I'll be like, Oh, you should watch a simple plan. That's I like that film. It's, it's, you know, it's like a thriller noir. I think you would like it. I don't think it's, I know it's dour, but I think there's enough stuff happening into it where it's not a dour, like revolutionary road where you're just like, I don't want to see this movie anymore. Right. So I don't like that kind of thing. So uh, in that regard, I think that, I, I would definitely recommend this to, to more people, but that's okay. You don't have to recommend. You don't, we don't have to agree. That's fine. Well, you can agree on where can they find us. You can find us at ForgottenCinemaPodcast.com or ForgottenEntertainment.com as we are part of the Forgotten Entertainment family. You can find us wherever you get your podcast: Spotify, Apple, YouTube. Uh, subscribe, rate, review, comment, all that good stuff. And then uh, talk to us about A Simple Plan in the Lobby. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're on the lobby on Facebook, that's our group where we talk about films and post about films. Uh, so let us know if you've seen Simple Plan, if you like Simple Plan, if you prefer other movies of this genre, uh, and let us know how close the a Simple Plan is genre. to the uh, the new Simpsons episode that came out produced by Joe Cohen a couple weeks ago. Oh, I didn't, which one was that? Uh, Simple Flanders or something like that. I didn't see called. that yet. It's, we watch uh, we watch it on Hulu. It's it's this it's this movie. All right, that's fine. That works. <laughs> it's sure. like this and Fargo mixed together. I will say that this this new season of Simpsons has been tough. The first few episodes I've not liked. Eh, they were all right. Yeah. The they, Flanders one is pretty there good. There was one where uh, I was like, I look at my wife. I'm like, why am I not laughing? Nothing's funny here. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I digress. Next week, we're going back to 1989 to watch a movie that I absolutely love. So there's going to be no shock when you hear me talking about it next week. Uh, it's called Glory with Denzel Washington, Morgan Freeman. Uh, I think Matthew Broderick's in that. Is Carrie mm-hmm. Elway's in that? Is he uh, one of the other know. guys? I think he's one of the, a, he, he's like one of the uh, lower regiments. It's about the Civil War. It's about the first uh, black regiment in the Civil War. 55? It is the 55, yeah, 55th. It's going to be a love fest. This, this uh, whole episode is going to be a love this fest. This movie's awesome. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to be doing lines. I'm going to be doing quotes. I think we've already talked about how much we love Denzel Washington on this show. <laughs> um, but like, it's it's such a good film. And uh, the score is amazing. The score at the end when they attack the fort is Awesome. Enough, enough. I can't get enough of this, this film. Is gonna be the next I don't know episode. why we're doing this it's film because it should not be forgotten. It is forgotten. Yeah, it, it is. People, <laughs> it's such a good movie. Okay, so that's next week, Glory. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't even know where it is. I don't know where you can find it. I'm sure we have to, like, you know, borrow it, rent or steal it oh, somewhere. I'm so pissed if it's hard to find. It's Denzel Washington. It's probably hard to find. Damn it. I know. I'll, well, well, as soon as we're <laughs> done right. recording, I'm going to look. All right. So that's it. I'm Mike Field. I'm Mike Butler. And this has been Forgotten Cinema. <laughs>